Well, church, uh, it is my great privilege to introduce to you a, a guest preacher uh, this morning, uh, somebody I've gotten to know over the la- last couple of weeks, and uh, one of our joys is we get to be close to Reformed Theological Seminary that's here in Orlando. It's the place I went to for my uh, seminary studies, and one of our hopes is to, to be a church that continue to see new pastors uh, raised up and get opportunities. Part of that is getting opportunities uh, to preach, and so I want to introduce to you uh, Jude Vilma. Jude is I'm going to be preaching uh, this morning. He's in his final semester at RTS, and so he moved here with his, his wife, as Keitresh, who's here is, as well with us this morning, and so hopefully you've gotten a chance to meet her or meet Jude as well, and if you haven't, after the service, I get a chance to say hello, um, but both of them are originally from the Bahamas, um, and in the fall of 2020, uh, they moved here to the Orlando area, so mid-pandemic, trying to make a massive life change, but moved here so that Jude could be begin his studies at RTS uh, to pursue a master's of divinity. And it is uh, God's grace that I saw them through that. And uh, by God's grace, he'll graduate. And in the, uh, you know, in the months uh, ahead, plans are to move back to the Bahamas for him to serve as a pastor. Um, and I'm really grateful uh, for his willingness to come and to uh, give me a, a week off to allow some time just for work on other things this week and a couple days out at the beach and things like that. And I'm also just willing, thankful for his willingness to serve all of us this morning by, by opening up uh, God's word. And so really grateful to have him here with us. Would you all welcome uh, Jude as he comes to bring God's word this morning? I'd love to go ahead and pray for him. You will notice Im- immediately he has a way cooler accent than I do. Um, my Michigan accent, people don't seem to love. I don't know what the deal is, but anyway. So uh, let, me, let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jude. I thank you for your work in his life. God, thank you that he is your son um, and that you, are, you just delight in him. And I pray, God, that he would feel that delight right now, that he would have a great joy in opening up the scriptures with all of us this morning. Lord, I pray that you would uh, speak through him. God, um, and I pray that we would have ears to actually hear this morning. And so, Lord, we ask that you would make your word come alive to us, um, that you would bring comfort where it's needed, that you would bring conviction where it's needed. And Lord, I just uh, thank you for this man. Thank you for uh, your work in his life. And I pray, God, that you would speak through him now, God, for your glory and for um, all of our our joy that we might experience. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, sir. Is my mic on? Good morning, everybody. It's an honor and privilege to be here. I'm not used to the cold weather, so glad I was able to make it out of bed this morning to be here with you guys, because we have the warmer weather in the Bahamas. But it's good to be here. I got to know Jamie a little bit, and I love this church. Uh, I love that there's 150 kids. Yeah, that's what he said. I love it. And you're raising up the next generation, so I'm honored to hear that. And our passage this morning, as we continue in the parables, is from Luke chapter 15, 1 to 7. Luke 15, 1 to 7. So if you are able, please stand as we go before God's word. The parable of the lost sheep. Hear the word of the Lord. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawn near to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable, What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, 
does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated, sorry. Have you ever taken an exam that you were so sure about it, that you were so confident about it? I'm not talking about getting a B or a 90%. I'm talking about uh, passing this exam with flying colors. And so you came out of the exam with so much confidence, and you start to tell the other students, this was the easiest exam that you ever have taken. I got all the answers right. And you begin to even look down at other students, telling them, oh, you th- I'm better than you because I got all the answers right. And you begin to share the answers and even compare notes with the other student, telling them that they are wrong. And then there, there's that one person who, who is sitting down, doesn't say anything. And they're looking at you smug, saying, okay, you think you're better than me? I'm better than you. But they don't say anything. But then you find out from one of your classmates that on the last page of the exam, that there was an essay question. This essay question was worth 80% of the grade. But you are so sure of yourself. You're sure, so sure of your abilities, so sure of your status as this perfect student, that you just brush it off and laugh. But when you get the exam paper back from the teacher, you find out that the classmate was right. You did all the easy questions on the exam paper, but you failed to answer the most important question. And because of that, you failed the entire exam. You were so self-righteous that you failed to examine the full content of the exam itself. And in our text this morning, we come across these Pharisees and these scribes who thought that they were doing such a good job before God. They knew the law, and they held prominent positions in the Jewish society. It was easy for them to justify themselves before men, but they did not properly examine themselves. They did not realize that they too were lost sinners and in need of God's grace and needed to repent. They did not know who God was, and most of all, they did not know what he was doing in the person of Jesus Christ. So Jesus presents parables that convey an earthly concept, but it has a a deeper and spiritual meaning. This morning we come to the parable of the lost sheep, and Jesus invites the crowd to listen and to place themselves in the story. So this morning we are going to place ourselves into the story, and we need to see clearly that the parable is not just an answer to the Pharisees, but is instructive for us as well. For we too can be presumptuous and become self-righteous and even fail to examine ourselves. For the parable of the lost sheep reveals that just as the sheep are by nature unable to avoid straying from their shepherd, so we as sheep, because of our sinful nature, are lost and in need of rescue by our good shepherd, Jesus Christ. And our main idea is that Jesus, the Son of Man, came to seek and to save that which was lost. 
And only through his redeeming work on the cross can we be justified before God. And the Bible uses different metaphors to show us who we are and to highlight what kind of relationship God desires to have with us. And this morning, we should observe three different metaphors. The first one is the sheep itself. The second is the search. And third, we will look at the shepherd. Now, before we dive into to what our passage means, we need to look at the context of the message itself. How did we get to this parable in the first place? First, we should note that before we get to chapter 15, this story is brewing in chapter 14. In chapter 14, we see that Luke tells us that Jesus is, having, uh, is invited to the house of a ruler of the Pharisees. And when he is there, the other Pharisees are watching him clearly. They're watching him carefully to see what he is doing and what he is saying so that they can bring accusations to him, about him. And like I said before, they were very self-righteous and thought that they were in the right standing before God. But Jesus would tell them later on that they are those who justify themselves before men, but that God knows their hearts. And right before chapter 15, he makes this important statement. He who has ears, let him hear. This is a call to hear the warning and also to respond with faithfulness. And this morning, let us have ears to hear. And when we get to the first two verses in chapter 15, he makes a, he provides a pr pronouncing story setting for the rest of the parable. And Luke tells us, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Now notice that they did not grumble because Jesus was teaching the sinners. Since the Pharisees thought of themselves to be righteous teachers of the law and others to be wicked. No, they could not condemn his teaching to the sinners. But they, what they did was they said, how can someone with so much dignity, someone who is so knowledgeable about the scriptures, receive and eat with sinners? Don't he know what they have done? How can he surround himself with such a company? And he tells them, that he was seeking the lost, and where should he be found among them, but among those he is seeking? Should a doctor turn away from the sick, or should a shepherd avoid the lost sheep? And so Jesus responds to them in this parable. In having established the setting of this passage, let us go into the parable itself. And Luke 4 tells us, that a man who has a hundred sheep has lost one. The sheep would have been counted as they entered into the fold and passed under the shepherd's staff. And then he notices that one is missing. What is so important about this one sheep, you may ask? What about the, the 99? Wouldn't they be in danger if the shepherd had left him? Now we're not told about any other characters in the story, and we're not given extra detail as well. But the implication that one is more important than 99 highlights the emotion that is felt over one that is lost. And the value of something becomes heightened when it becomes lost. And why would Jesus use his, uh, this parable to use the sheep as a metaphor? And so I did some research on sheep, and here's what I found. 
The sheep was an important symbol and animal in our reference throughout the Bible. They were an important source of income in the ancient Near East cultures. They were often used as sacrificial animals, and many of the people in the Bible were sheep herders. Most importantly, sheep are used symbolically to represent God's people. God first compared the Israelites to the sheep and later applied it to those who are called by his name. Why are people compared to sheep? God compared people to sheep for several reasons. First, sheep are one of the few animals that cannot protect themselves and are quick, not quick enough to run away. They are helpless without a shepherd. Second reason is that sheep are notorious for following the leader, regardless of how dangerous or foolish it may be. Now, if a leader goes off a cliff, for example, so will the sheep. Third, sheep are prone to wander away from the flock and get lost unless they are found. And even, I found this out, and even when you found, find the lost sheep, the lost sheep will not follow you home unless you carry it. When a sheep is lost, it is in grave danger. Let's say, for example, a dog gets lost. It may find its way back home again. But if a sheep gets lost, it will wander on and on and amaze its loss. The sheep needs to be rescued. And this is what uh, we find in our passage this morning, and it teaches something about ourselves. And like sheep, we are helpless without a shepherd. Like sheep, we, we tend to follow a leader foolishly. Like sheep, we wander away from the flock. Like sheep, we need to be rescued, and we constantly need to be rescued. We become overconfident, rebellious, and we are prone to wander. We may see the grass greener in one direction, and we may get distracted and fail to, to see when the flock moves away. We may be, even be unaware that we are lost and that all is well and that we are good. We may also know that we are lost, but unable to find our way home. This is the imagery that is painted when we talk about sheep. And this imagery represents our sinful nature. We sin because we are sinners. And the Bible tells us that we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That there is none righteous, no, not one. And that all our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. For all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned each one to his own way. But God demonstrates his love for us that while we were yet sinners, he sent his only begotten son to rescue us. Do you see yourself as a sheep this morning? Have you strayed away from God's path? Or are you in a season of rebellion and you cannot find your way home? We need to examine ourselves and ask the Lord, Search me, O Lord, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me into your way everlasting. We must confess and acknowledge that we are lost and need to be rescued. May we draw near to Christ and listen to his words, for he is calling out to us and he will rescue us, for he receives lost sinners. So we can come as we are, bring all our addictions, bring all our failings to him. 
No matter what we have done, no matter where we have gone, because he has made a way for us by his grace. So first, we observe the lost sheep. The second metaphor is the search itself. How does the shepherd rescue his sheep? The passage tells us that he leaves the 99 in the open country and goes after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. Now, without the shepherd's help, there is no way that the lost sheep can find his way back to the flock. And Luke places the emphasis on the shepherd's determination to recover what was lost. He will search until he finds it. In other words, the shepherd knows exactly what it is that he needs to do, and he's committed to fulfilling his mission to find that lost sheep. He is willing to seek and save and secure his sheep. Note, first of all, the thought that this is a thorough search. The shepherd goes after the sheep and nothing else, and he has this one particular sheep in mind. He is carried away by this one thought that he must seek and save the lost one. And therefore, he leaves the 99 in their pasture. The search is also demanding, and it involves a cost. Who knows what would happen to him? Who knows what would happen to the 99 sheep? But he counts the cost, and he's willing to go and seek and rescue the lost sheep. Note also that the search is active and personal. For he goes after the lost sheep until he finds it. And he does this with a personal search. He doesn't send a hired hand to go find the sheep. No, he goes on the rescue mission by himself to bring one lost sheep home. For he loves and cares for his sheep. Moreover, note the perseverance of the search that he searches until he finds the lost sheep. The parable says nothing about him not finding the sheep. There is no hint of him failing in any way. Thus, the search proves fruitful. And you can imagine, probably imagine that the time and the effort that's spent on him trying to find this one sheep. But the story does not end when the, sheep finds, when the shepherd finds the sheep. His job has just begun. The sheep must now be restored to the flock. Since sheep would often lie down helplessly and refuse to budge, the shepherd places it on his shoulder. And carries it home. The sheep is not only saved, but it is secured, and the shepherd then can rejoice. Now, recently I saw a, a video of a sheep that is stuck in a ditch, and a boy coming home from school finds this sheep, and then he goes try, trying to rescue the sheep. And then he goes home to his parents to bring help to find the sheep. And when they go back to the ditch, they take the sheep out from his legs and pull it out. And as soon as the sheep gets out, he jumps and he runs and he jumps right back into the ditch. What does that tell you? It tells you that the rescued sheep needs little more than rescuing, right? And I heard someone say, if you find a lost sheep, your job is not over because a sheep will not follow you home. You have to grab it, throw it down, and tie it up and put it over your shoulders. Now, if you rescue a dog, the, the dog will follow you home. And the point is, that he will find his, the right direction as, as soon as you point him there. But a sheep, on the other hand, will not follow you home. 
Sometimes they'll lay down and not budge, and other times they will just go back right into the ditch. You know what that tells you? It tells you that as sheep, sheep contributes nothing to their salvation. The shepherd must do everything for the sheep in the rescue mission. He seeks, he saves, and he rescued that which was lost. In his book, The Pursuit of Man, A.W. Toza says, Salvation is from our side a choice, but from the divine side it is a season upon, an apprehending, a conquest by the Most High God. Our accepting and willing are reactions rather than actions, and the right determination must always remain with God. It is a season upon, a apprehending, a conquest by the Most High God. This is what God does for us. He pursues us. He seeks us out. And friends, this is good news for us today. Because the God of the Bible will go to great effort and rejoice with great joy to find and restore a sinner to himself. And Jesus wishes to emphasize that God is not a God of the few a God of the wise or a God only to those who think that they pursue God, like the Pharisees and the scribes. No, he is a God who searches and finds and cares for the sinners. He delights to show his mercy to us. And he is far more willing to save sinners than sinners are willing to be saved. Thank God that the Lord's sheep is not responsible for finding himself back home. And that we can rest on his promises because of the finished work of Christ on the cross. So first, we observe the sheep itself. Second, we observe the search. Now third, who is the shepherd that goes after his lost sheep? The phrase at the beginning of the parable says, What man among you? And it reveals that Jesus does not describe some exceptional case. But this is a typical behavior of shepherds in those days. Any shepherd would go after their lost sheep. But Jesus is not speaking about any shepherd. This is just an illustration. Now the shepherd metaphor is used throughout Scripture and would have been familiar to his hearers. Abel, Moses, David were all shepherds. And other leaders of Israel were designated as shepherds over the people as well by the Lord. However, all of these shepherds failed to feed and care for the people. The people of Israel will be referred to as a sheep without a shepherd. They were feeding themselves. They failed to strengthen the weak, heal the sick, bind up those who were injured, bring back those who strayed, and seek those who were lost. Thus the sheep were all scattered with no one to search or seek for them. But the Lord says in Ezekiel 34, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out, as a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered. So will I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered, and I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from countries and bring them into their land." Furthermore, he says in verse 23, 24 of Ezekiel, I will set upon them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them 
and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David shall be a prince among them. This is prophetic, and this sets forth for us the Son of Man, Jesus Christ himself, the great shepherd of the sheep. Jesus is the true shepherd. Jesus even uses symbols of sheep and shepherd throughout his earthly ministry, referring to himself not only as the true shepherd, but the good shepherd and the door of the sheep. And these declarations present for us a complete picture of the Lord is my shepherd in Psalms 23. Church, the condition of the sheep and the nature of the rescue mission is too great for one mere shepherd to accomplish. No, we need a good shepherd. A teacher or a prophet is not enough. A wise and mighty king is not enough. A priest is not enough. We needed a better priest, a better king, and a better prophet. We needed a savior, a savior who is fully man and fully God, who left the glory which he had with the Father and humbled himself by being born in the likeness of men. He lived the life that we should have lived. He became the eternal Passover lamb by offering for all time one single sacrifice for sin. He died on the cross, was buried, and on the third day he rose from the grave. Through his sacrifice, we are delivered from the penalty and power of sin, justified before God, and restored to communion with the Father. This is the good news this morning. The Lord's sheep are not only saved by grace, but it is also grace that sees that they make their way home. We needed a good shepherd who would lay down his life for the sheep. So this morning, how do we respond to this amazing and radical grace? To a God who delights to show his mercy to us. And in our passage, Luke tells us that he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Now notice that after the shepherd would have found the sheep, he does not rejoice privately. He calls his friends and neighbors to share in the joy of the restored sheep. Therefore, sinners who have been lost from the community should also inspire communal joy not grumbling when they are recovered. And the picture is one simple one. It is a great celebration at the rescue of a lost sinner. And the Pharisees and the scribes in the story don't know how to rejoice. Instead, when they see sinners coming near to Jesus, they blame Jesus for being lenient, not gracious. And they miss the wonder of his mercy, thinking that they deserve to be celebrated instead. What about you this morning? Can you rejoice when bad people are being made good? Is there a certain test that one must pass to be included into the kingdom of God? Will you rejoice with a co-worker that has a different political view than you? Would you rejoice with a boss that treats you unfairly? Would you rejoice with a classmate that had bullied you in school? Would they pass the test? Church, this morning, we are invited to rejoice when sinners have been made new, 
when sinners have been rescued by Jesus Christ. Remembering that we too were lost, but now we have been found. Furthermore, the image of celebration is further enhanced in verse 7. And Luke states, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 persons who need no repentance. Now notice that the discovery of the lost sinner causes even more joy in heaven. Just as the shepherd and his neighbors are rejoicing, there is greater joy in heaven for the lost sinner than the righteous 99. This is God's heart as he works through Jesus Christ. And this recalls the picture of Luke 5, 31 and 32, where he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And the Pharisees and scribes would naturally assume that they indeed were the righteous who did not need repentance. But their assumption is false, since the parable is a response to their grumbling. It is also fair to assume that Jesus uses gentle irony, for Jesus demands repentance from everyone, and no one should, be, should presume that they are exempted from this demand. Now this week, as I was preparing for this sermon and just looking through the passage, it dawned on me the different groups that are represented while Jesus is speaking. We have the Pharisees and the scribes, of course. We have the sinners and the tax collectors. And we also have the disciples. Everyone needs to hear this message. And then it reminded of this journey of faith. There have been seasons in my own life where I have strayed from the flock. I was lost and unaware. There were times that I thought I was good, and I did not need to repent because I knew my Bible, because, you know, I've been a Christian for a long time. I'm not one of those people over there that are doing all those bad things. And so I would look down on them. And there were seasons where I was in rebellion and trying to bring everything to God, trying to get there by myself. But I needed to be rescued. And I constantly need to be rescued. Because I am a sheep. And we all are sheep. And we are prone to wonder. And we constantly need to be rescued. But Jesus comes and he pursues us. We don't have to get everything right before we go to him. Just come as you are. And he will rescue you. Friends, the parable shows that God loves sinners and he sent his son, Jesus Christ, who came into the world to seek and save that what was lost. He never rested until he had made atonement for our transgressions, brought everlasting righteousness, eternal life, and opened a way of life to all who are willing to be saved. Without God's initiating love, we have no hope. We will either run from him in rebellion or stick close to him in self-righteousness. But we will never have salvation on our own. And as we come to the Lord's table this morning, we remember that Jesus is the eternal sacrificial lamb. 
who gave himself for us. And as we partake of the, the bread and the wine, remember that Jesus receives and dines with sinners. Having examined ourselves, we come with great joy over our salvation and with a posture of repentance. And one day, we look forward to feasting with him in the new heavens and the new earth when he returns again. Are we his sheep? Have we ourselves repentant? These, after all, are the important questions in the exam that concerns us. What shall it profit us to know the love of Christ, but to fail to use it? Jesus said that my sheep hears my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Let us pray. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to you be all glory for the sake of your goodness and your steadfast love. Lord, we thank you that in all of redemptive history, that you are a God who searches, you are a God that seeks to save those that are lost. If we look at our lives today, I can imagine, Lord, that there are times where, in our seasons where it felt like you were absent, but those were the seasons where you were carrying us, and you would carry us all the way home. Help us, O oh Lord, to, to not only to know your word, but to be willing to do what it says. For you have made known to us the path of life, in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. We thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you for the cross. We thank you that in him we have become the righteousness of God. And Lord, we know that we belong to you, our good shepherd. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.